Welcome to the CFI Podcast, hosted by Canadian Forest Industries Magazine, Canada's leading national logging and solid wood products magazine since 1881. You've tuned in to hear compelling conversations on hot topics and trends in the logging and wood products industries with experts from across Canada. This month's podcast is brought to you by Ecom Timber Corporation. Hi everyone, welcome to the CFI podcast. I'm your host, Ellen Cools, Associate Editor of Canadian Forest Industries Magazine. Thanks for tuning in. I'm sitting here with J.P. Gladue, President and CEO of the Canadian Council for Aboriginal Business, or CCAB. A trained forester, J.P. has more than two decades of experience in the natural resources sector working with Aboriginal communities and organizations, NGOs, industries, and governments across Canada. In his seven years at CCAB, he has become a key player in fostering partnerships between the forestry sector and Aboriginal communities, leading many initiatives such as the Aboriginal Procurement Champions Program. Today, he's taking the time to talk with us about the current state of First Nations involvement in forestry, best practices when it comes to partnering with First Nations, current programs in place to expand partnerships, the impact of legislation, and more. JP, thanks for joining us. Great to be here. So before we really get into everything, can you talk a bit about the Canadian Council for Aboriginal Business? What work does the, uh, the organization do in the forestry industry? Sure, so CCAB has been around for 37 years and our, really our mandate is all about building business relationships between Indigenous and non-Indigenous business communities for their mutual benefit. Uh, we do that through our programs, our events, uh, our research. We do throw good parties too at our, at our big events. We've got one coming up here in Toronto at the end of January. Uh, but really, it, we use these, uh, these programs and events and research to uh, bolster the Indigenous economy for both the Indigenous communities and businesses themselves, but as well as um, organizations right across sectors, coast to coast to coast, to come together to work in, in concert with communities and to understand Indigenous business and vice versa, and to, to get the business uh, cooking, if you will, and uh, in, in, in for a very long time. Uh, there's, as you've touched in your notes, uh, there's been a, a large emphasis on the resource sector. I've been at it now for over 25 years. Uh, I am, I don't know if I can say I'm a trained forester because I graduated in the state, so I'm, I think I'm supposed to say I was a person with trained or, or forestry expertise. But I'm also a forestry technician by background and, and I did my undergraduate in, in, in forestry as well. But the CCAB has been an incredible journey for me personally. I've been at the helm now for about seven and a half years. And recently, I'd, well, since I've come on, there's been more forestry companies because it's a big part, a big passion of mine um, are coming to, uh, to CCAB. And we can, we can dig into some of the programs if you like, but um, all, all I have to say is that uh, CCAB uh, is a really great place to come for Indigenous and non-Indigenous businesses uh, to, to form relationships and uh, build trust to, to advance the economy together. So kind of going back a bit, so historically, can you give me a brief summary of uh, First Nations involvement in the forestry sector? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because, um, you know, Indigenous communities uh, maintain First Nations because if you're Inuit, you're probably further up north, although there are Inuit people that do work um, in southern parts of, of our country. Uh, but personally, uh, my grandfather was a logger, my dad was a logger, I went into forestry school, by the way, I wanted to be a conservation officer and I find myself here at the helm of CCAAB many years later. Um, but for a long time, uh, we were shut out of the economy. As Canada's first entrepreneurs, that's really, um, 
really unfortunate uh, past. You know, both my grandmothers were residential school survivors. Um, but you know, over time, we started to build some relationships. And in the forestry sector, that was often uh, through employment opportunities, where you know, my my family were loggers, uh, uh, tree planters. I know my. My mom did comb picking as well, and we did comb picking on the weekend. I remember as a, a young boy um, going out in the trucks and picking cones. Um, and then as more relationships started to build, um, as well as the recognition that Indigenous people were all over the forest, right? Uh, right across the, the country from coast to coast, that uh, we were beginning to show some strength, um, some capacity. And so we started to build um, our businesses to do the scarification, to the logging, to uh, the tree planting organizations. Um, and so over time, we started to integrate more into the uh, business supply chain. Uh, in the recent past, I'd say, you know, the 10, 10 plus years, uh, you're starting to see Indigenous businesses now um, taking uh, management control of forest units across the country, sustainable forest licenses, etc. Uh, and we're also starting to see indigenous communities and businesses actually being primary producers of Canada's wood products. So we've come full cycle and uh, it's an incredibly exciting place. And now even as we look into bioeconomies um, and uh, bioenergy, um, you're starting to see, uh, and, and sort of more the innovative uh, science behind forestry, you're starting to see a lot more um, uh, participation of indigenous uh, people in, those, in, in the way that the forestry economy has grown. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, for sure. Um, speaking of that, there's actually quite a few First Nations or Indigenous-owned companies across Canada, like um, Norsask, for example. They're mm -hmm. owned by um, the Meadow Lake Tribal Council. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think makes them successful and why? You know, I, I believe, if my history is correct, uh, you know, there, there was a real opportunity and uh, it, was a, it was a relationship with the government as well, because the government recognized that the communities were hungry for business, hungry for change. The way that forestry has been done in the past, uh, indigenous communities were on the peripheral looking in. Uh, the wood products were driving by their communities all the time. Um, you've got strong indigenous rights that are becoming uh, even more entrenched in, in, in Canadian law. And uh, the forestry companies uh, may not have been fully utilizing the resources and there was a real opportunity. And leadership, uh, you know, credit to the province from what I understand, years ago, uh, allocated a certain amount of wood to the communities to manage and build a business around. Uh, the communities came together, which is extraordinary as well to see communities um, coming together to work to build a business and build kind of the whole um, value chain within the forestry sector. Uh, and I think the MLTC has shown real leadership in this country and what can be achievable. Um, when not only, I mean, they, they did it in partnership with people at New Forestry, kind of from the modern context. Um, so when you've got willing partners, Indigenous communities, hunger to, to do better for their communities and creating employment and business opportunities, and a province that supported that, I think that is a really great recipe, something that this country can be uh, learning things from. Mm -hmm, definitely. Um, so there's also a number of First Nations looking to grow their logging operations and into sawmills, owning sawmills, such as the uh, Agoki Lumber Limited Partnership up in uh, Northern Ontario. They're working with Nakina Lumber to reopen the Nakina Sawmill. Uh, so what hurdles would you say they're facing? You know, that's just on the peripheral of my own traditional territory. Um, I'm from Bingui Nyashi, Anishinaabek First Nation. And um, well, in that area, I, I know some of the players. So there's, there's definitely a willingness to, to, to build that relationship. Um, 
I think sometimes it's around level setting expectations. Um, everybody wants to grow as fast as they can get in and, and develop that capacity and that business acumen. Um, the markets are, are challenging right now uh, in Canada. Software lumber agreement are definitely uh, impeding the growth of Canadian uh, lumber. And the other thing too is that we're starting, I, from what I understand, there's more people going into forestry schools, uh, but the capacity, um, you know, young people are coming up and they're thinking about Google, they're thinking, you know, about all these high tech and um, that's challenging because we're, we're, we're all competing for human capital to work in our sectors. So I think that's a big challenge. You've seen forestry schools start to shift and adjust a little bit as well as far as the way that they train their students um, to come out fully prepared for a, a more robust uh, or, or comprehensive look at the way we ma do land management and forestry and biology, ecology, uh, so I think, and, and business approach. So I think that's, that's good. But I think, you know, if, if I may, you know, I haven't been practicing forestry for, for quite some time now. I, you know, I work with communities, or at least I know the communities that are doing it, and the forestry companies that, that come to CCAB, and I love, I love being surrounded by it. It's, it's, you know, it's my first love. I think there's been a reluctance of the industry to give anything up, and it's only in hard times that fishers are opened and that First Nations and Métis communities are uh, entering into those fishers to, to, to flex their muscles, to build opportunities for themselves. And regardless, we're here now, we're, we're starting to work together, and I think that, I think, I think those partnerships, if we, t you know, if we just address some of the challenges, I think where some of the opportunities are, um, it's around creating certainty in, in our forests. You know, I just read this article about the TMX and First Nations wanting equity positions in, in a pipeline, if I can relate that to the forest sector. And, and one of the comments was that uh, banks are, uh, are a little reluctant to invest because of the uncertainty. And, and in my mind, that, that very frustrating old view of Indigenous participation in the economy. I see it, and I think many people see it, as that's actually the certainty. When you get First Nation and Métis communities, and Inuit communities on board, resource and infrastructure projects, you're actually creating certainty. And so I think the real opportunity in our forestry sector is to create certainty by making sure that Indigenous communities have access to capital to be equitable participants. Because I like to use this example um, when we're, say we're up, I've, I've invited you up to my reserve and we're driving down the road and we, uh, we hit a bump and I'm driving and it's like, oh, but don't worry, it's a rental, right? Because it's not my car, I'm not gonna care as much. But I tell you, the next time you pick me up on my res and you see that bump, in your driving, in your own personal car, you're going to avoid that bump. And that's what business is about. It's about having buy-in and understanding business risks. And, and I think the more of that buy-in, I think that creates certainty, that creates long-term um, success, uh, buy-in, all these things that I'm talking about. So, uh, you know, I see a lot of opportunities in the forestry sector with Indigenous communities and, and um, non-Indigenous businesses coming together to proliferate. And there's been a couple of new partnerships announced in recent years. Um, there are some forestry companies partnering with First Nations, like Timber West, Resolute, Western Forest Products, just mm -hmm. to name a few. So how do you think the industry is doing? Do you think more needs to be done with, um, in terms of partnering? or? I think there can always be done, uh, more to be done with regards to partnering, um, both from you know, equity positions, supply chain, uh, making sure that um, we've got real business activity going on in, the, in all aspects of forestry from tree planting, scarification to logging to uh, primary production of, of our forest products and all the other uh, innovative uh, products that are coming from our forest sector. You know, I, I, I want to do a quick little shout out to Timber West uh, on the island. Um, they're one of our PAR companies 
I think that there's a lot of, of, of goodwilled organizations out there that just don't know how to do it. And we've got you know, certification bodies, which are great, SFI, FSC. Sometimes the business path isn't as clear. Um, and even, even from a consultation point of view, sometimes it's a little difficult, a little bit daunting to do all the consultation work. But I believe that when companies embark on a journey to build business relationships, which, which is part of the original intent of our treaties, um, that a lot of other things start to fall in line. Um, because communities are feeling apart, they're seeing the benefit, their, their youth are being employed, um, they're generating revenue for their governments and their communities. Um, I think the, you know, the Timberwest uh, of the world, and we have a few other uh, companies that uh, are in our PAR program, I think those companies, when they embark on a process like the Progressive Aboriginal Relations Program, which has been around for almost 20 years with over 105 companies, that they start to see all sorts of benefits from it and the dividends that get paid through uh, solid relationship building in the business sector. So to answer your question in, in one, answer, one word is yes, absolutely, uh, more can be done. Right. But, I, but I think at the same time, we've got to be proud of, of where, the, where we've come. I mean, there's been lots of great success in the country as well. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, so what are some best practices that you would recommend for uh, forestry companies looking to partner with First Nations? Don't make any assumptions. One of this, one of the, another story that I like to tell, I, I was doing my forestry technician diploma through Sault Ste. Marie Sioux College, and uh, I remember our, our technician, our prof, was had us all lined up on the road and we were grading trees. And um, I, I think the grading back then uh, was like ones, twos, threes, you know, the quality of the tree, the lumber, combined lumber, pulp, and mostly pulp. And um, I remember the tree actually, it was a yellow birch. And uh, you know, our technician, well, what do you think the, that tree is? And all of us stood on the road going, oh, ones, twos, ones, twos, like high value versus somewhere in the middle. And the prophet said, you're all wrong. And we're like, what do you mean? He says, well, not one of you got to walk around that tree. How do you know what it looks like down the other side? Maybe there's, there's a major split down the other tree and it's all rotten on the inside. You, you don't know because you haven't taken the time to walk around that tree. And it's the same thing uh, in, in organizations in the forestry sector is not the only one that's sometimes guilty of this, of walking around the indigenous tree. If you don't understand the communities, how are you going to be able to work with them, work with us? Um, so get to know your community, spend the time, invest your time and, and, and whatever resources you have to support uh, growth. Identify those community leaders, um, support them in uh, business development by issuing contracts, you know, and again, communities also need, uh, to my earlier comments around setting expectations, you know, we've got to grow, you've got to learn to walk before you run, so there's a mutual respect and, and trust that needs to be built as, as you engage with Indigenous communities, um, so pay attention, who's in the community, there's the elected uh, leadership, but there's also the business leadership, and it's a tough balance sometimes to to manage both because community politics are a real thing. The other thing is that if there are opportunities to uh, build certainty through uh, real partnerships in equity, if communities have the resources to build um, equity into projects or, or the business, the main business itself, that's also a fantastic thing. And the last thing I'd say, one of my favorite things to do when I was practicing forestry in my community, leading uh, negotiations or harvesting plans with communities and, and the ministry and the forestry companies, was to pour over maps with elders and hear their stories, their rich, rich stories about their connection to the land and, and what was appropriate for resource development and, and what wasn't. And the idea of incorporating traditional knowledge into a Western science model is, you know, I, I, I think people, it's well-intentioned, but it's, it's misplaced. 
because incorporating indigenous people and knowledge, indigenous sorry, knowledge into Western science doesn't work because they're different worldviews and you're not going to get a, a real clear picture of where you want to go. So it's really about incorporating indigenous people into a process where they are empowered to use the worldviews and their knowledge systems to shape the way that we do forestry. And the other thing is to, if you really want to be able to embrace the full richness of an indigenous population or community, you also have to be cognizant of a governance in which we uh, practice business. Because indigenous governance systems do differ from region to region, community to community. And so allowing room for protocol for indigenous governance systems to have space in a, in a Western model as we practice forestry um, is also really important. So I think the more flexible that companies can be to incorporate the full uh, richness, as I've said, of uh, the indigenous people and community, uh, I think only serves to strengthen the outcomes of, of, of the business. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. Yeah, I personally haven't thought about it that way myself, but it's uh, a lot of very good insights. Um, but kind of going back to what you had mentioned about uh, PAR, the Progressive Aboriginal Relations Certification, can you talk a bit about uh, how that works and how that has impacted the industry's ability to form partnerships with First Nations? You know, I think a lot of forestry companies do some uh, really great work and um, the PAR program is a framework. Um, it's a place to actually organize your company's approach to Indigenous relationships. Uh, our PAR companies, it takes them three years to, to be at the committed level to build the building blocks, identify the communities of interest, get their policies in place, start to get their baseline data around procurement and engagement and, and employment. So I do want to um, recognize some of our PAR companies because these companies are engaging in, in a long-term uh, process to help them um, with their journey in Indigenous business. I know they have certification systems and programs for engagement, but the PAR program really does focus more on the business outcomes as well as community engagement. Um, but, you know, it does have more of a business slant. And, you know, so ACOM, uh, Timber Corporation, um, they're, uh, they've started their journey and, have, and are in the, at the committed level uh, within the program. When we look at um, the uh, bronze level uh, companies, you know, we've got uh, Tokel in there. They've, um, they're, they're doing great work. We look at Alpac. Alpac has been, like since I've started CCAB, they were one of the, they were the very first. Uh, and they're a gold level standing company uh, within uh, CCAB and we're incredibly uh, proud of them. And of course, we've also talked about Timberwest. So these companies um, within the PAR program are building upon their already good work. You know, if you're certified through FSC or SFI, there's a certain amount of work that you've got to do to consult and engage and accommodate uh, Indigenous interests and, and, and their people. Um, but these companies are taking it a step further with regards to the business lens. And what PAR does is it, 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 it signals to the communities that you're a good company to work with or for. You're always getting it right all the time, of course you're not. But you're on a journey of continual improvement. That's why it's progressive. Um, so the PAR program is, is agnostic to any sector. Uh, I believe we have about, oh, I know mean, we have over 105 companies that are committed and certified. Um, and it's making a real difference in the world, uh, in Canada. And the, the people that go through the program know it's a lot of work, but the, the dividends, again, that are paid are, are really, really wonderful. And, um, and I'm really happy to see that a lot more forestry companies are coming to the table through the PAR program. So you mentioned earlier there is a Toronto Indigenous Forestry Company that you're um, celebrating a milestone with at the end of this month. Can you talk a bit about that? 
Thanks, Ellen, for asking that question. Yeah, we're, we're, we are really excited. We've, um, as I mentioned, we throw really good parties. Uh, award, recognition, dinners. Uh, we've been doing this across the country for quite a few years, I believe. This is our 19th or 20th. I shouldn't know that, uh, but quite a few. Um, we do one in January, which is obviously in the month we're in right now. Uh, in Toronto, in Calgary, we do one uh, in April in conjunction with the um, Forward Summit, and then in Vancouver, uh, we do one as well, and that recognizes our park companies as well as, well as awards for excellence in Indigenous relations. But uh, on on January 28th here in Toronto at the Western Harbor Front, we have two awards: our Lifetime Achievement, which this year is going to Chief Terence Paul from Member to First Nation, as well as the Youth Entrepreneur award um, that goes to any indigenous person under the age of 35 that are doing extraordinary work. And, I, and I, we are recognizing this young woman. Her name is Shelley Stewart. She's an ambitious uh, uh, silks uh, businesswoman from the Upper Nicola Band. And she's the owner of uh, a logging company, um, Barras Ventures. And a little bit of the, a little bit of the history. She, um, at 19 years old, you know, she, in order to spend more time with her dad, I believe is the story, she, you know, she purchased her, her first logging truck. And her revenues have grown to over seven million dollars annually, um, you know. And uh, you know, this I can't wait. We've only talked on the phone, uh, but you know, people like this just inspire me. Yeah, and again, because I come from a line of forestry as well, and uh, just you know, her dad and her, and uh, you know, she's she's championing for other young people the possibility. And and I think we need to champion more of that in this country to to showcase the indigenous success because a lot of Canadians. Uh, just are ignorant of, um, they just don't know. Uh, they don't know what we're capable of. And, and that our indigenous economy in 2016 was over 12 billion, just our business part portion, our combined household incomes and everything else is over $30 billion. And we know that number is growing. Yeah, I mean, that sounds amazing. I'm, I mean, I definitely personally would love to meet her and talk to her about her experience. That sounds like a, it's been really great for her. What other programs or certifications are in place that would encourage um, partnerships between forestry and First Nations? You know, forestry companies, and, and not just forestry companies, companies around the country um, are trying to do the right thing, and, and they're trying to engage more of the Indigenous business community and the employment base and Indigenous people in general. And the, um, they want assurances that, that if a company says that it's an Aboriginal business, that it in fact is an Aboriginal business. And it's a little bit awkward for a non-Indigenous organization to uh, challenge an Indigenous organization if it is Indigenous. Hey, are you Aboriginal? It's like, well, who are you to ask me that? Right. Um, but CCAB being an Indigenous organization, our board of directors, majority are Indigenous, our staff are, our programs are, we actually certify these Aboriginal businesses to make sure that they are majority owned and controlled and that they, um, they actually are uh, indigenous by checking their status cards, the, their Inuit government cards, the Métis cards. So we give assurance, and then we put them into an Aboriginal procurement marketplace through our supply chain initiative, which is another valuable program that CCAB is being passionate about the last uh, few years. Actually, Mark Little is the CEO of Suncor, is my first co-chair for our procurement champions. We have um, 56, I believe is the number now, procurement champions that are stepping up to open up their supply chains to more indigenous businesses. But forestry, if I relate it to forestry companies, you want to know where these companies are. So we have a depository of 
all sorts of businesses. So, so on a supply chain of forestry companies, just not the tree planters and the scarifiers and the loggers and what have you. There's also, you know, we buy, um, we produce paper, but we also buy it for our office. We have marketing requirements. We have legal requirements. Sometimes we need engineering. We have management consultants and management companies to do forestry um, management. So you name it, there's an indigenous business out there. So looking a little bit broader to uh, the indigenous business space is, is something that um, we are very passionate about and advocating for on a regular basis. Just as an example, um, Ellen, what um, the, the federal government right now, they spend anywhere between 0.3% and point, or sorry, 1% of their total annual spend of 16 to $20 billion a year on indigenous businesses, which only equates to 65 to sometimes maybe $100 million a year. That's nowhere where it needs to be. If they're at a target 5%, that would, that would um, increase the, the indigenous business um, economy to a billion dollars a year. Very proud that the federal government has actually set a 5% target. So companies, uh, a lot of our companies are surpassing 5%. Um, you know, if we look at the uh, province of Alberta alone, in 2017, uh, they spent $3.3 billion. Now, I know forestry companies, um, the, the margins aren't what they are in some of the other sectors, but if you take a percentage approach, that adds significant value to a community. And communities that get the jobs or the business activity, support their families, that support their community, that support the region. And I know forestry companies get this. Forestry companies are family businesses in the sense like they, communities rely um, on these. And it's just about reaching a little bit further to um, encompass indigenous businesses in your supply chain. The other program that we have is, is called TFAB, Tools and Financing for Aboriginal Businesses. We have over 54,000 Indigenous businesses, many are in the infancy stages, and they need the tools and support services to encourage their startup and growth. So the CCAB brings together all of our members to support the Indigenous and not to bring them uh, to the table to support our entrepreneurs. Um, and then of course there's our research. We do amazing research. We've got the best research in the world on an Indigenous economy. And one of our projects, right now I think we have 24 to 26 projects on the go right now. When I started uh, seven and a half years ago, we had one part-time person, one project. So really proud because decision makers want data. That's how you make good decisions. Is you can have the story, which there's this incredible indigenous business story, story percolating in this country. But now we can back it up with the data. And one of our projects near and dear to my heart is uh, the Outland Youth Employment Program. Uh, some of your listeners will definitely know what this program is. And you know, Dave Bradley uh, is a long-term longtime friend of mine. Uh, I was a part of the original one as their first speaker 20 years ago. They bring Indigenous youth from the northern communities and they bring them to six weeks of, of training um, where they are uh, exposed to forestry, mining, uh, education, um, financial literacy, health and safety, drones, um, college systems. And they're empowering this youth. And this research project, what we've done is we're actually looking at the socioeconomic impact of having programs like this. Mm -hmm. This program is paying huge dividends uh, to the Canadian economy because those youth are now going on to start their own businesses, they're productive citizens in their communities or the communities at large, uh, they're going on finishing their high school diploma, they are becoming college grads, university grads, they're doing exceptional work. And so we're, as an organization, um, researching the economic impact so we can say, hey, 
uh, government and industry, when you put a dollar in, this is what you get out. So research is really important because it helps inform decision makers and it helps define CCAB's approach to creating value for our members and what we should be doing as an organization. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really great to hear. Um, I think definitely for businesses, it's always about the money, right? So it's a question of if I put that much into you, what do I get out of it? So the research part of it is very important. Absolutely. I mean, money is, is I mean, it is bottom line. You have mm -hmm. to have bottom line. But, you know, people now, uh, investors to people that are purchasing goods and services, they, they are looking at ESG, environmental social governance. What are companies doing for our communities? Yes, they're making money and they need to make money to be able to exist. But how are they supporting our communities? Because I have the purchasing power and I don't want to invest my money in an organization that is not doing anything for my community. And the forestry companies are the same. And I think because they're largely community-based, they are more acutely aware than most most companies. Yeah, I was going to say community is key in forestry. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So do you think there are any areas where the forest industry is not doing enough to provide opportunities for First Nations? I would be um, a little reticent to answer that question because I'm not on the ground every day as, as a national indigenous leader coast to coast to coast, multiple sectors. I don't spend enough time um, understanding all the challenges uh, the, the forestry sector is facing. I know from afar, markets are challenging. Um, human capital is challenging. Um, you know, it's hard to get uh, financial cap uh, capital uh, to support uh, investment and growth in, in, in the companies. Uh, but I will say this from an Indigenous perspective, um, the Indian Act definitely hamstrings our participation in the economy. You know, as an example, I make a good living, but I can't go to a bank and uh, get a mortgage to build on my reserve. I can't get money from a bank because the land is not owned um, by us. It's held in trust by the federal government, and a lot of Canadians don't understand that. So if, if I can't build up collateral, how am I supposed to uh, get a loan to start a business, to go buy a piece of forestry equipment, it's near impossible. Um, there are programs out there um, to help us and there's communities that they've got good balance sheets can back our, our uh, homes, but again, getting the capital. So anything that the forestry sector can do to support our ability to access capital through contracts and building us up, that is, that is going to ultimately um, contribute to their supply chain and to their partnerships. And, and, and as I mentioned before, when you get Indigenous communities participating in your economy and in your sector, particularly we're talking about forestry, you're building certainty as well. And I think you know, the world, uh, as I mentioned, is paying more attention to ESG. And if, if they see that um, companies are putting more effort and time in supporting Indigenous communities, and Canadians, I think uh, the expectations are, are, are still relatively high. Um, I think uh, that only adds to the bottom line of a company because mm -hmm. their products will be that much more um, attractive. Um, so kind of speaking about community, um, there's been a lot of communities in BC, northern BC in particular, that have been affected by the yeah. downturn in the industry. Um, and at last count, it was nine sawmills have closed permanently mm -hmm. and more than 20 have taken downtime. Oh. So how are First Nations um, Indigenous people being affected by this? Well, I, I mean, I wouldn't know the particulars, but I can only guess that a lot of communities are tied, their jobs are tied mm -hmm. to the production of those uh, mills. Um, just let's take Shelley that I was just talking about. We'll be celebrating her. I don't know what her, I'll, I'll get to know her uh, at the end of this month. But if a forestry mill goes down, she's not going to be logging. 
um, and uh, you know her trucks aren't going to be hauling the wood to that mill, which is going to impact her business, which is going to impact her family and community. So when you have a robust um, forestry ecosystem, um, the the communities will also also can potentially, if the relationships are good and the business streams are 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 solid, will also benefit. So any downturn in in a sector like forestry, where thousands of our people are employed and hundreds of our businesses exist it's an impact on us as well. And it's more acute in an Indigenous community because um, most of our communities uh, don't necessarily move away. Uh, they're not tr as transient in the sense that they can pick up and go because their community's right there. It's just, it's just tied to community is very strong and it's, it's not as prevalent for First Nations or Métis or Inuit people to, to leave their community, so it's even more acute. So I, I feel for, for communities that um, are lose, losing their employment and, and their jobs and their businesses. You know, you know I'm moving up to Fort McMurray uh, to run an Indigenous business called Boucher. And um, you know it's tough up in Fort McMurray. People are feeling it. Uh, but the wonderful thing is in this, in this particular example is that, again, we always come back to community and community is strong and they've got each other's backs and they, they continue to support each other. And when you have strong industry partners, leaders, the CEOs that are in the companies or the forest managers, that are continually engaging the community and building those relationships and friendships. Um, you do what you can, but you can't do it if you don't have a relationship. So companies that have built relationships with indigenous communities, um, you know, kudos to you guys and gals and, and keep up the good work. So what do you think the industry can do to help kind of strengthen their partnerships with First Nations during this time? Like anything, just be there to support each other. Um, have the conversations, keep everybody, the worst is when, um, you know, the world is falling apart around you and nobody's talking to you, right? right? Mm -hmm. While the world is falling apart, it's hopefully cyclical, um, it's limited. Informing and having conversations um, and coming together in community meetings and keeping everybody informed, I think is really important. The worst is to be felt like uh, information is just not getting to you um, because it breeds fear. Uh, fear of the unknown, right? But if you can, and, and be real in your conversations and being on, as honest as you can um, with your business and your communities um, about the impacts and what the timelines might be or what they might not be, so. I think that's important for any forestry worker right now just to know what's going on, to have a better idea because it's tough out there and I think a lot of people are afraid. Absolutely, if they're going home to their husband or their wife and, and they're asking, when are you going back to work? When's the, when's the mill going to start up? Uh, when can when can we get our, our trucks fueled up to get out there? And 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 if the husband or wife's coming home and going, I don't know, dear, yeah. and that's stress on a family. Um, so communication is important in, in any sector, in any situation like that. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, what do you think government needs to do to help out in this type of situation? That's a great question. Um, fight like heck with regards to the software lumber agreement. Um, sometimes um, the, you know, some mills um, will fade away. And that's often an, an unfortunate outcome. Um, so retraining, reskilling, supporting communities in those transitions are really important. You know, their government do have a role in supporting communities in transition. You know, it's, um, I, I, you know, I don't know how much more government can do. You know, the other thing too is, you know, innovation. If governments can support more innovation in the forestry sector, we've seen a lot of, of you know, automobile parts being constructed from uh, wood products or the chemicals or, or you know, the cell cellulose in, 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 in our wood products have got all sorts of value. And, 
and really thinking about um, um, connecting economies to the forestry sector to support that growth is really important. Um, it's the same thing in the uh, in the energy sector, right? Um, you know, companies coming together, coming together to improve their technology for better outcomes, and eventually we're we're, we're talking energy transition and. Uh, forestry has been transitioning to a certain degree as well um, and anything that government can do to support more of that transition uh, technology research um, and and hopefully startup and capitalization of additional types of forestry business uh, is you know it's a longer term game but the best time to plant a tree was a hundred years ago the next best time is today so let's get on it <laughs> yeah absolutely um, so speaking of government, uh, I just wanted to briefly touch upon some legislation that the industry needs to consider when it comes to working with First Nations. Mm -hmm. um, in BC in 2017, Premier John Horgan sent a mandate, mandate letter to the Minister of Forest, Lands, Natural Resource Operations and Rural Development, setting out priority areas to determine how to bring the principles of the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, or UNDRIP, um, into action in the province. And then more recently, in October, uh, BC was the first province to unveil legislation to implement UNDRIP. So what should forestry, co forestry companies be aware of and what should they do to ensure that they align with those values? You know, I view UNDRIP as a roadmap. Um, I view UNDRIP as an opportunity for uh, more inclusion. If you embrace UNDRIP as a government or as, a, as an industry, uh, and, and see where you can create more inclusion, I think uh, the outcomes can be um, can stronger. And, you know, I've, we've been talking about this, this whole, between you and I, Ellen, on this conversation on how we can create more inclusion, and I think more of that is, 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 will lead to stronger outcomes, but is also, people, a lot of people are nervous of UNDRIP. Um, this, this word veto keeps getting thrown about um, and I, I can't stand the word veto. Uh, it doesn't matter what culture, what issue, um, if you and I brought in all your colleagues here in the other room to discuss what color we should paint these walls, um, we're going to get 50 different answers. And if we had to have full consensus, the walls will never get painted. And I think it's unfair for one of your colleagues to veto uh, if all 49 of you are on board for one colleague to veto it. So uh, if we get a process, if we get a clear and strong consultation, and accommodation to and, the, and the, as many wins as we can along the way, it should never ever get to that point, I hope. Um, so UNDRIP I see personally as it's a roadmap uh, for organizations and governments uh, to use to think about what inclusion looks like. So looking ahead, it seems pretty clear at First Nations um, will have a larger and more influential role to play in the forestry sector. So what do you think the future of the industry looks like in terms of uh, their involvement and partnerships? We say this at CCAB a lot lately, but the and and a lot of people their eyebrows might raise or go up a little bit here. But the future of Canada's economy is largely indigenous. You look at how important infrastructure is in this country. Um, I know many of your forestry companies um, that go out logging, and you know I know I've been in on all sides of the table, both from an indigenous perspective as well as working for forest companies and governments. Uh, and NGOs I used to work for the National Aboriginal Forestry Association, and it, it and and the amount of work and effort that's required is immense um, with Indigenous people and communities, um, and it can be daunting sometimes. 
So when I say that the future of the economy is indigenous, I think that applies very heavily to the resource sector. Um, but again, to my earlier points, if we find ways to embrace and support indigenous inclusion um, through equity, through jobs, through businesses, we become your allies. We become your biggest supporters. Um, you know, there. Are, uh, you know, I used to work for the Canadian Boreal Initiative, a very great. Or it was a great organization. Um, there are environmental organizations that are very extreme, and I think when we have strong indigenous partnerships with industry, when those extreme views come to the table, the community is going to go. We're in court. We're we're being engaged. We're we're part of this process. Our knowledge systems are being applied to the way we do forestry. Um, our governance is being included in the way that we do business. Um, our people are being employed. Our people are benefiting and watching over the land at the same time. So those extreme organizations uh, go away. It's, it's, you're not welcome here because we have a great relationship and, and, and it's us that are our, our co-decision makers in the way that we do this together. So that's what the power of Indigenous relationships can really bring to the table. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, well, this has been really a very insightful conversation and uh, I think a lot of our listeners will get a lot of good value out of it. Um, thank you so much for joining us here at the CFI podcast. Oh, really my pleasure. And thanks to everyone for tuning in. Stay uh, tuned for our next episode. That's, uh, see you later. Thanks again to Ecom for sponsoring this month's podcast. Ecom is a proud CCAB member and par committed company. Find out more at ecom.ca.